you know, it's a hidden gem. It's a place of high quality excellence that needs to be shown. For and, sure. And Elevated. High, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if we could be a part of making that elevation happen, uh, that was an interesting opportunity. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. Hey, folks. Welcome back, and thanks for tuning in this week. Today's guest is Dave Frankie. Dave is principal at Frankie & Company and son of Bill Frankie, founder of Indigo Partners. In 2016, the Frankie family made the single largest gift in University of Montana history, naming both the W.A. Frankie College of Forestry and Conservation as well as the Frankie Global Leadership Initiative. Dave's work involves finding places where the family can invest to create both impact and access, and you'll hear both of those themes throughout the conversation. We discuss the concept of philanthropic investing and how it differs from the traditional charitable giving model. Dave cites some compelling reasons to invest in higher education, reasons that certainly resonate with me and likely many of you as well. I enjoyed meeting Dave and learning more about his work. Do note that this was recorded a few months back, as you can probably tell when you hear my references to that evening's basketball game. Regardless, the content is fresh and continuously relevant, so let's get into it right now. All right, so we're here today with Dave Frankie. Dave, thanks for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. Happy to be here. So you are here uh, on an interesting day. Uh, this evening, uh, the University of Montana plays Northern Inter- Arizona <laughs> University in basketball, right? It does. Yeah, and you and your family have been huge supporters of the University of Montana. We'll talk all about that. But you're also huge supporters of Northern Inter- Arizona University. Who are you going to root for tonight? That's a good question. So, uh, yes, I currently sit on the foundation board at NAU, and so I need to represent a little bit there. I was trying to figure out how I could create a half-and-half half shirt that was half UM and half yeah, NAU. What are, what are the NAU colors? Uh, blue and gold. Blue and gold. Oh, that would be blue tough. Blue. Yeah, blue and gold are not, not um, well-regarded colors in this neighborhood. Yeah, so I think the strategy tonight's going to be uh, that – NAU, because I'm here, and and you know I have to ultimately have some allegiance to Montana. So uh, maybe NAU a little bit for the first half, and you got to finish strong with Montana. And Montana should beat them pretty well anyway. NAU does not have a good team this year. <laughs> well, those are the sorts of games we have to deliver on, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Well, it's great to have you here. Uh, for listeners who don't know, Dave and his family um, gave the University of Montana the, the largest single gift in the history of the university that was 24 million dollars um, to name the the frankie college of forestry and conservation and also the global leadership initiative too so it's a great honor to have you here and to uh to just have this chance to to learn more about your work and and some of the reasons why you and your family have chosen to uh to invest in sure. education so let's get right to it uh you work uh do you work for Indigo, or, or you're separate from Indigo, Frankie Correct. and Company, uh, principal there? Tell us about Frankie and Company and, and what that organization is all about. Uh, so Frankie and Company is an entity that we've held for many years, where it's an opportunity for us to take our personal capital and put it to work in different ways. Either put it to work through. Uh, private investments that we make, and we don't have, whereas Indigo has a very specific focus in the airline sector, uh, we are very eclectic and diverse at the things that we look at. So it could be 
uh, there are types of businesses that we get engaged in, and they could be growth stage or more mature businesses, uh, real estate, oil and gas, media, and some inter- some media related uh, stuff, and uh, a little bit of early stage, uh, some biotech. It's just a real eclectic set. But so that's one way we put capital to work, uh-huh. um, and then the other way is philanthropically and and making those investments as we did here and in other places. Uh, so I, on a day-to-day basis, am dealing with both sides of those issues, uh, working with existing portfolio investments that we have, constantly assessing new investment opportunities, and then being our lead liaison philanthropically. And when you say working with you know, active investments that you have, um, what sort of role does, does your organization take in, in your investments? It depends. If if possible and with the right investment if it's an operating business we like to have some sort of control or voice or input into uh the long-term success and vision path that that business is on and typically mm-hmm. that takes the form of having a board position seat of the board yeah, yeah or multiple seats where you may have a little bit more control uh at the board level and then working uh on a more strategic uh, basis with management to move the company towards its objectives. Uh, so we're not there to tell them day to day what to do uh, on an on, but we look at the strategic levers that will move the business forward and create the outcome we hopefully all expect to achieve and focus our efforts there. And so moving to the, the sort of philanthropic side, um, you know, uh, We've used the terms philanthropic investment, impact investment versus charitable giving. And, you know, in an email conversation we had ahead of this 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 recording, you know, that world is kind of has and is changing. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the, the principles that, that you bring to your work when you're looking for different areas in which to invest philanthropically? Well, first, just because you kind of laid the foundation there. You know, so if you think about it, um, charitable giving is, takes on many forms. And it's maybe with less strategic intention behind it. Uh Um, So whether, you know, it's seeing a homeless person on the street and you give them $5 or uh, volunteering at your kid's schools or going on and uh, helping someone with their crowd rise or GoFundMe or any number of ways where you're or, or volunteering where you're providing some value but maybe with a little less intention uh, to it where ph- philanthropy and philanthropic investments have a more strategic stated objective and intentional impact that you're trying to achieve. Um, and so for us, as we l- look at that and the work that we do in those areas, it really is that combination of, one, trying to be strategic in uh, aligning with agencies that we feel will help us meet the objectives that we're trying to accomplish, uh, and then being you know, very intentional around the impact uh, that we expect to achieve. And so for us, where that's landed primarily as a family is around education and in particular higher education at the uh, university or professional level of uh, educational work. And then, you know, we 
have some views and definitions of how we want to support at that area. And yeah, and how did how did higher education kind of become the focal point? You know, uh, I think in a few different ways. Uh, we're a, a firm and a, a, a family that's led by my father, and you know he set the uh, path there. For him, he had a unique, interesting childhood, uh, early years in rural Texas, and then spent his teenage and high school formative years in South America and different parts of uh, Argentina, Paraguay, and Brazil. Okay. And kind of through that, he bounced around to different types of schools, sometimes had to be self-taught, uh, really had to at times make his own education or within their family make make his education so function. So is this because of military family, yeah, industry yeah, family? It, like it, uh, related to government work. Okay. And okay. so they were, uh, his father was sent down to South America and they as a family went. Uh, and at times, because this was in the 40s, early 50s, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there just wasn't the scholastic infrastructure that you would have had here. Right. And um, so he, his last two years were in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and he was at an Americanized school there. And that then allowed him to think about getting back to the U.S. and his education in the U.S., uh, and with uh, two other friends, they talked about different places that they might go and ultimately set their sights on Stanford. And uh, two out of the three ended up at Stanford. A third went to the Northwestern, okay. as it turned out. And that shaped, that really changed and shaped his life and his experiences. Um, you know, even back then, Stanford was still a high-quality, world-class education, uh, and he got both his undergrad and, and uh, law school, went through the law school and got a law degree there. And he still relies, every I see it every day, on much of the education, that foundation, especially from a legal perspective, and how you think and critically think and assess and understand and, and take a view of risk um, impacts our, our life every day. Mm-hmm. And so he looks back and said, you know, how valuable was that for me? Um, both that I, I was fortunate to find this school the last couple of years in Sao Paulo to give me the opportunity to think about going to a school like Stanford and then the experience that he had at Stanford. So he really saw how the power of education catapulted and leveraged his life and, and his career and what that meant to him, what that meant to us as a family and his ability to provide us opportunities as uh, his children. And um, so between... Uh, him and uh, our our family. My mother was in education as well, and went to Stanford. That uh, there's just it was always a part of it's life. Part for of us. the fabric yeah, of your family, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That uh, the importance of education and sure. Um, so I think he also then some of the things that we focus on are our areas of impact and work are really built around trying to help those who are first generation. Uh, students. Sure. Access. Un- access, yeah. Yep. Uh, underserved, minority, uh, Native American, uh, exactly, uh, access, equanimity and access in the educational field so that they have that same opportunity that he had to hopefully catapult and leverage and pull their family into new places. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so that's really what drives and, and created that focus around higher education. And what's what's attracted you to sort of working in the family business, so to speak? I mean, you're not at Indigo, but you're you know you're managing the family's uh, investments in a variety of areas, but this philanthropic uh, arm as well. I was given the example by both my parents about being engaged in the community in different ways. Um, my m- mother was more of a grassroots, hands-on, volunteering in the classroom, um, being uh, an impact person at a more sure. individual level. Um, and ultimately, she became a, a high school teacher herself and was impacting her students in uh, ways that teachers do and then my dad was more at the bigger broader level of community impact and mm-hmm. community change and setting that example as well so when i was uh, a young adult and i'd been working in the real estate uh arena in phoenix outside of uh our office uh in the early part of my career and and needed to make a change i talked to my dad and, uh, about did he have any thoughts or ideas and he said you know i'm doing some work for myself here, it'd be helpful to have you be a part of that. And I made that decision and been there a long time now. But uh, shortly after I joined, he was the one who said, you know, I think you, I think he understood my personality and said, mm-hmm. I think you would be interested in uh, getting involved in the community and I would support that if you were to choose that path. And so I spent about a year uh, trying to find an organization to get involved in and found a domestic violence shelter in okay. Phoenix that uh, I'm still involved with now almost 26, 27 years later. Uh, and that created its own path of change and opportunity for me uh, in being a, a volunteer there. And then as we continue to grow in our own broader family philanthropy under my dad, given what he saw and, and I experienced of this is work that I really enjoy and align with and uh, seem to intuitively have some skill set for. It made sense then as we were continuing to more formalize and organize our own family philanthropy that that might be a role that would be a good fit uh, for some of the work that I would do. Uh, And I enjoy it. It's, It's such a rewarding part of life to have that opportunity to create impact, see impact, uh, hear the personal stories, and mm-hmm. understand how you've affected someone. Maybe be involved in the outcomes yeah. a little bit too. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting side story. Um, so we're now just over 10 years into our gift and partnership at NAU. And uh, that's the, sorry to interrupt, yeah, that's it's okay. the naming gift of the College of Business at NAU, Correct. right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, a good portion of the gift goes towards scholarships, and they're you know known as Frankie Scholars. Sure, and, access again. Yeah. So I was at a uh, a community luncheon a little over a year ago, and I was there sharing a table with another group, with the group that I was with, and sat down next to a young woman that I'd never met. She was part of this other group that was sharing the table with us. And she turns and looks at my name tag, and she says, are you related to Bill Frankie? I said, <laughs> yeah. And she says, I was one of your first Frankie scholars. Amazing. And so to have that amazing yeah. experience and yeah. then to, to be able, through the lunch, talk to her, hear 
you know, how she'd created her own successes in life and where she was at now and how impactful that was to receive that support. Uh, it's just an example of, you know, uh, that personal touch that you can really see what you've done to help someone move forward in their path in life, mm-hmm. which was great. Yeah, that's one of the highlights of our year here. We have a scholarship event where we try to connect the the students with the families that have sure. supported them through various forms of scholarships and and it's it's an amazing event to see these connections made and you see people that have enabled life change and then people that are actually changing their life for the yep. better in the moment it's pretty powerful sure yeah so how did uh, the university of montana get on your family's radar screen you know uh now going back probably 22 23 years ago my father uh, ended up buying a vacation home okay. up on the north end of Flathead Lake outside mm-hmm. of Big Fork, uh, Montana. And w- we love the, the area up there and beautiful area. Yeah. And we started hosting uh, corporate retreats up there. So okay. uh, on the Indigo side where we bring in our management teams from the various airlines that we're involved with for – five days of kind of uh, intense but fun uh, high-level strategic work and and cross-pollination amongst the management teams. And as part of the agenda, we wanted to infuse some conversation that was totally unrelated to the business, just to open people's mind, expose them to something new and different. And so we started asking around, you know, what would be some local resources where we might find some interesting uh, guest speakers sure. that would speak of uh, other topics. And the suggestion was made, oh, you, you should look at University of Montana because there's a lot of great research, a lot of great work in lots of different areas, and I think you would find that interesting. So that started the relationship because we, we agreed as we learned a little bit more about the university. And so, you know, for probably the oh, last 12, 13 years, we've been having a guest speaker annually come up from the university and spend a few hours with our folks and talking about whatever their area of research is. And typically most of those have come out of the uh, College of Forestry. Uh And so that then uh, created, you know, a uh, better understanding and relationship about what the college is about. Who are some of the highlights of folks that come up and blown the doors off the place? Uh, so er, one of the early ones was, and I'm going to forget names of faculty, um, but uh, we had a gentleman who studied the bear population up there. And what was fascinating, I think what people remember, is he had pu- he put up a map that showed the general region, and they had all these grizzlies uh, that had uh, chips in, their, in, in a collar. Yeah, the collar tags. And to show where they traversed <laughs> the region. They're all around the house? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're, they, I mean, they go right by the house and live, yeah, in and around. And you had no aware, awareness of that. And so people were pretty surprised at that. Uh, we, one of the uh, great stories that came out of a guest speaker is uh, we had a, a woman who studies birds of prey. Okay. And she brought up uh, a few different examples, and we got to look at some black birds. And she was just a very animated, fun uh, speaker, engaging speaker. And she talked about, you know, what is the pound for pound, 
what's the most fierce predator within the, the birds of prey. And you might think it's something of a larger nature. Like a raptor or a falcon, something like that. And uh, she said, no, it's a little pygmy owl. Really? And she she had one up. And uh, uh, so we became so enamored kind of with that idea and that story that, you know, Frontier has the animals on the tail. Frontier Airlines. Yeah, yeah. uh, Excuse me. Yeah, Frontier Airlines. Sorry. Uh, And... We decided to uh, put a picture of Pygmyal on uh, the tail of a aircraft, and uh, the house actually sits right outside of Ferndale. So we named the bird because they name the birds on the, uh, the animals on the tail of the air, airplanes. Okay. So we named it Ferndale. So Ferndale sits on uh, Frontier uh, aircraft, and um, so that was uh, another great one. And then a couple years ago, we had. Um, Josh Millspaugh, uh-huh. uh, who came and spoke. And what was interesting about his time was, uh, you know, so he studies that engagement between humans and animals and and where you sit on the boundary of uh, where they start to touch and meet and what happens uh, at those places. And so he put up a bunch of uh, game cameras around the property. Yeah. And again, we were a little surprised uh, at some of the game that we saw. We, well, you come to Montana; it's it, it's there. It's, it's it's the wilderness. It's it's uh, a lot of wildlife. So we discovered, you know, we have uh, some bear that clearly live in around the property. We have mountain lion, uh, bobcat, and then you know more typical deer and, and other things. But it was just fascinating to see what was around the, the property. Uh, yeah, those night cameras. Uh, can be um, illuminating, for lack of a better term. We have one in our backyard, and it um, sometimes it's a little spooky. What's what's going yeah. by? We live sort of <laughs> up against a creek, and it is a bit of a thoroughfare after dark, and it, you know makes me sometimes second guess sending my daughter out to walk the dog or right. something like that. But it's also kind of one of the best things about living here. A New Angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. This is University of Montana President Seth Bodner, and you're listening to A New Angle. Yeah, so, you know, as we then learn through the relationship, we have our own living lab up there. And uh, between that and the guest speakers, we saw what great value in... Uh, works being done mm-hmm. here, and uh, as we continue to learn about that, and also learn about how the university has a strong focus in first gen and minority and Native yep. American, and some of the other. Uh, so that combination of hitting some of the hot buttons for us that are important, as well as learning that it's a, you know it's a hidden gem. It's a place of high quality excellence that needs to be shown for and, sure and elevated high, yeah exactly yeah. and if we could be a part of making that elevation happen uh that was an interesting opportunity for us so because if you think about um two of the gifts well actually three of the the large philanthropic gifts that we've made but any in montana uh there was no family affiliation to either of those gifts right. we didn't have any so that tells you that first and foremost for us it's about impact and belief and confidence in 
our partner and their ability to help us create that impact. Um, and, you know, so we made gifts where we didn't have any family ties to those institutions, and it was really all about the impact and, and the uh, belief that we had partners that were going to make things happen and, and had such a strong focus on that student experience. You know, that, that, that concept of supporting access and investing in access that's pretty salient here, obviously. And it makes me think of this, um, you know, I sort of first considered it listening to a Malcolm Gladwell podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you, it sounds yeah. like you've, you've maybe listened to the same um, uh, series of episodes where he makes the argument pretty strongly that don't invest, don't, don't, um, don't give money to Harvard, don't give money to Stanford. You know, they don't need another few bucks to attach to their billions um, that one of the most amazing gifts uh, ever made was a naming gift to, I think it was Glassboro State in southern New Jersey, and, and small sort of community-oriented uh, college that, with that gift, all of a sudden was able to enable access to a huge portion of the population that would have never been able to consider going to college. So this concept of access and, and where do you make an impact with an investment you know, I certainly like to think that the University of Montana and probably Northern Arizona as well are great targets for that sort of giving where you can really move the needle on some of these outcomes you're talking about. Sure, exactly. And, and you know, we have given to Stanford as well, and there is value uh, in that. And, and I would probably disagree with uh, Gladwell a, a little bit on sure. some of his argument. But um, no, and exactly to your point, that was – and that continues to be one of the things for us is as we evaluate and underwrite how we're going to engage in our philanthropy is not only not only looking at the impact on the students and ultimately that's our priority but if we can create an impact at the university level and again elevate uh and bring help pull the university up uh, along with the students by partnering with those that maybe don't have as deep of a philanthropic support sure. uh, as someone like a Stanford. Mm-hmm. And there's real, you know, there's real value in that. And you feel like it le- further leverages your dollar in the overall impact that you can create out of a gift. Um, so there that's definitely something that's uh, caused us to to look at Montana. And sure, wide variety of ways right. to kind of conceptualize yeah. return on investment yeah, in this sure. space. Um, let's not forget about the Global Leadership Initiative too. Sure. Um, tell us about that. I mean, when the, when the when the news of the the, the gift to the university came out, you know, it's sort of in some ways it was sort of like, how oh, how do these two fit together? And I was wondering, kind of. Um, how that came to be, supporting the College of Forestry and Conservation and the Global Leadership Institute. Sure. Uh, so, you know, the Global Leadership in- in- Initiative was uh, launched by prior president, uh, Angstrom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was a passionate, avid supporter of that program. And we had been talking to him about, you know, various ways of initially when we were first trying to figure out how we might support here and, and continue to learn and, and better understand the university and where opportunity lay within the university. Uh, he was a big supporter of, and promoter of 
that program and where it connects and creates alignment with us is again given my dad's just overall life uh, and and then therefore our lives as a family we've been very global in nature right whether it's been his childhood years growing up in south america uh having a career where he's done business all around the world and then as we grew and and have lived our lives as children uh and family members you know having lots of global experiences and that idea that uh that combination of broadening someone's horizons and giving them some skills so international and global doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to asia mm-hmm. or some it could be taking a kid you know that's raised on a, a farm here out uh, in the rural communities who's never been to another part of the US or who's never been on a Indian reservation or exposed to some other culture that's its own form of uh, global exposure and, and broadening in allowing them the opportunity to uh, lead and again leadership doesn't necessarily mean that you're uh, the head dog and sure. moving something along but it's that you're a part of problem solving and taking a role in uh, affecting change. And so we were excited to learn about the uh, GLI because it had those components to it. It was really trying to broaden and expand students' uh, minds and horizons. And then in particular, it had the study abroad component. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when we were first exposed to that and saw some potential alignment. I think uh, one of the things that we wanted to influence was we felt like the current travel abroad component was a two to three week component. And well, there's a lot of, and clearly a lot of value of taking a student who's not had any opportunity to travel abroad, even if it's just for a couple of weeks and it's a more social type of experience there's still a lot of value because they're seeing something they've never seen before. But we were hoping to make it a more enriched, deep, meaningful experience. And so we worked a lot with uh, the team here as we developed the gift that we really want that to be a semester-long sure. experience yep. and have More some, immersive. Yeah, immersive and real objectives and some true educational components that come out of that. Uh, and so that was a part that was factored into the gift. Um, and so that really speaks to us as a family because we this world's changed. I mean, it's so small these days, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter whether you're doing business in uh, Missoula, Bozeman, D.C., anywhere. You're going to have some international component, even if you have some little shop downtown here in Missoula where you're just selling to the local staff odds are you're getting a component from China or someone that you're getting a piece of your product from is getting it from China or somewhere else, and you're exposed to to that. And so if we can give those opportunities to students to just think, you know, the world's shrinking and it's going to continue to shrink, so I need to learn and understand and be comfortable playing in that arena. Uh, and we felt like the uh, Global Leadership Initiative does that and sure. continues to do that, and there's great value there. So, you know, and we're, we're in a college business here, and, and, and 
you know, I worked a little bit in, in finance before doing the professor thing and, and have a bit of an understanding of, you know, the steps of due diligence you go through to decide if a company you know, you're choosing to invest in is is uh, a good investment in terms of the potential rate of return and all that stuff and, and also the ability to, to deliver on the promise. And so how does that work when you're thinking when you're thinking of investing philanthropically, whether it's to a charitable organization or whether it's to an institution like a university? What sorts of things are you guys thinking about in terms of okay, this is the outcomes we're trying to get to, and, and, and here are the judgments, or here are the things we're making judgments about in terms of that institution's ability to pull it off. Sure. Uh, so, underwriting is a big part of what we do, and and exactly to your point, we almost treat it no differently than if we're underwriting uh, an investment that yeah. we would make on the for-profit side of life in that you want to, because we're putting material capital to work. So regardless of what type of investment you're making, it's still an investment and you want to feel like you're going to get that return, that ROI on that capital. And so in, in order to do that, we probably, uh, much to the chagrin of the development teams that we work with, take too much time in underwriting because we okay. want to make sure that we feel very confident and comfortable with where we're giving. So that takes different forms. Um, you know, frequently it's spending just time with the people, time on campus, uh, sitting in classrooms, talking to students, talking to faculty, talking to the administration, taking a deep dive. Once we identify areas of interest, then it's spending time and taking a deep dive and really understanding you know, the College of Forestry here or the GLI, um, so that we have a real understanding of what the program is, what the objectives are, who are the leaders, mm -hmm. do we have a belief in their ability to execute, because, again, investments are all about execution. That's right. And uh, it really comes down to that, you know, belief and confidence uh, in the team, because if as we've learned on any side of our business, it's really about the team and their ability to execute. And it starts there. Um, so it's that combination of, is there a program and a way to influence that program that we see value in and we believe will create impact? And then do you have a team running it that you uh, have a high confidence level in? Um, so that's really where we spend a lot of time in understanding both sides of those uh, components. But um, ultimately, then, for me, one of the best things is when I get to talk to students because they tell you the straight scoop. Yeah. And they tell it in oftentimes a very unfiltered <laughs> way. Uh, Any it, examples of that today or during your visit here so far? No. Uh, not. But what will frequently happen in, is when I'm here and in front of students, uh, I get to ask whatever questions I want to right. ask them. Right. and. I'll do that, and oftentimes some of my questions are around if you could wave a magic wand and change whatever it is about the GLI or about the College of Forestry or whatever your experience is, what you know, what would you do? And and that oftentimes brings out very enlightening uh, answers and just the basics, you know, what did you like, what didn't you like, sure. uh, types of questions. Uh, again, they, they they'll be uh, pretty direct and unfiltered about that. Sounds like student evaluation forms yeah. for class. <laughs> yeah. <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And so um, 
speaking of the team, you uh, do some collaborating with uh, two of my absolute favorite people on this campus and members of the uh, College of Forestry and Conservation faculty. That's uh, Libby and Alex Metcalf. And the, the, the three of us uh, collaborate on some, some work as well. But it's my understanding that you're going to be on a paper with Libby. Is that right? That's what she says. That's what she says? Yeah. I mean, that's big news. <laughs> I've never been published before, so Here I think that's go. pretty good news. Yeah, yeah. You're on your way to tenure. I, you know, between publishing and a podcast, there's all kinds of new opportunities I'm getting here. I know. Your CV is just yeah, piling up with, uh, with, with lines right now. <laughs> Tell us about this project with Libby. Well, you know, so she studies that uh, interaction of, of, you know, she's a social scientist uh, coming in and looking at uh, how you know, we as humans look at uh, wildlife and and how we engage with wildlife. And um, so once I had a basic understanding of her area of, of work and research, I found and I read a lot and, and, and read a lot of diverse content. And uh, I'd read an uh, article about a study that was looking at more political points of view mm-hmm. between liberal and and conservative points of view, and how you could turn a conservative person into a liberal person, and it was by removing their fear that that the, kind of the premise was a lot of the a lot of conservatism comes from a basis of fear, right? And so if you could create a scenario where you removed that fear, and the way they did that in the study was by giving people superpowers. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you're not going to die. You know, you're going to always have all you need, money and resources and whatever. No one can take those from you. Um, that then when you ask them questions about society and the environment, um, social constructs within that environment, they would give liberal answers and take liberal points of view. And so I sent it to Libby saying, you know, I just think this is really interesting. And and it seems to me that there would be a similar basis in case for, you know, we have such a fear in in certain areas of the country around, you know, uh, we've got to take care of the wolves or the bears or, because they're going to eat my cattle and eat my sheep and so forth. And um, so if she, you know, might think of that in that same construct of if we gave those types of folks a feeling of having a superpower would that have the same result would it remove uh the fear and and uh that they would then have a more liberal point of view of how to engage with wildlife uh at least as the initial study was performed it didn't make a difference as it turned out they their views changed a little bit but not as what we saw in the other study that i sent to libby uh, that initially spurred the idea um so uh, I haven't followed up in a while. I'm not sure, sure. exactly where she's at with uh, uh, kind of finalizing that and publishing it. But uh, she did say, you know, you spurred the idea and you ought to get a co-author, yeah. which was exciting. Absolutely. No, I was involved in, in that experiment where we kind of tried to – we replicated that basic effect where if you, you induce fearlessness that it can make people with a conservative orientation more liberal – but in terms of attitudes towards wildlife, we exhibited we we observed some attitudes that you might consider actually more conservative. Right. People viewed wildlife as a resource, right. sort of available right. to their consumption. Right. And, you know, one of the theories we had around that was 
maybe it has something to do with if you're fearless, you just sort of don't have any view of consequence. So could be. I can go out and shoot all these animals yeah. and, you know, there's no consequence. Sure. So kind of, yeah, rethinking, how, not rethinking, but sort of uh, thinking about how best to, to move forward with this research. It's, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, gosh. You've been super generous with your time. They probably put you through some really busy schedule <laughs> while you're here. You got the basketball game tonight. What else is on your uh, on your uh, docket during this University of Montana visit? You know, whenever I come up, it's always a mix of meeting with students and hearing directly their stories and the impact and the quality of education and experience that they're having here on campus. Uh, I'll meet with faculty both from College of Forestry and and the Global Leadership Program and. Just get kind of state of the state, or mm-hmm. or as an example, like right before uh, here was at the Wilderness Institute, which okay. was a component of the College of Forestry that I was not familiar with. So, spent an hour learning and, and getting a, an initial understanding of the work that happens there, and so they'll afford me those kinds of opportunities, and then uh, typically meet with uh, administration, and uh, I'll spend a little time with President Bodner and the provost and. Uh, others and tomorrow I'm gonna guess speak in a business class. Oh, fantastic! Uh, Here with Susan Tillman. Oh, yeah. fantastic! And uh, although I'm not the airline expert because I don't, I, I'm a fly on the wall in our office watching those guys do that work. Uh, I'm gonna do my best to talk a little bit about the airline sector. She's putting you up as an airline expert. She so, is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Nice. So you're wearing many hats, Dave. <laughs> it's fun, you know. I and I'm an individual that likes. Uh, all different aspects of life and curious about the world. And so I, uh, thankfully I've been afforded that opportunity yeah. with uh, the work with the family and, and what my dad's created of, uh, we do such a diverse set of things in the office that I'm intellectually entertained on a regular basis. Yeah. And there's also no better place for that intellectual entertainment than on a university campus. Yeah, I think. for sure. I mean, it's, it's amazing to be around young people trying to make investments in improving their own lives. And it's, um, it's just great to learn more about uh, the amazing work that you and your family have done to sort of facilitate those sorts of investments here at the University of Montana. Um, thanks for being here. Thanks for all you do for the university. And um, yeah, I look forward to our paths crossing again real soon. Yeah, thanks for what you do and uh, happy to do it. This was good. Okay, hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dave. Amazing what their family has done for students across the country and here at UM in particular. All right. Coming up next week, we have episode four of the Sea Change series featuring my conversation with Susan Hay Patrick, CEO of the United Way of Missoula. Excited to bring that one to you next week. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a gift from University of Montana alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. And remember that A New Angle is supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you would ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. And before we go, I want to thank some important peeps. Executive producer, Stefan Borsum. Producer, Aidan Morton. And interns, Aspen Runkle and Max Gibson. Huge thanks to VTO, Jeff Ament, and John Wicks for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally... If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.